Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cool Hand Grace podcast. Each week, we are exploring a biblical passage or topic, offering insight and application, and seeking to point us to hope and direction for our lives. We also have some devotional interactive questions for each podcast, ideal for small groups. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. Welcome once again to the Cool Hand Grace podcast. Today we're going to continue our short series in Philippians chapter 4, as we're going to address the question, anxious for nothing? Really? Do you want some more anxiety in your life? Hey, we can help. Ready? Here goes. Being anxious is a sin. So if you have any anxiety, well, you're sinning. And here's our thought process then. Oh, no. Now we're stressed about being stressed. My anxiety is sinful. This means God is displeased with me, and he's turned his back on me, and he's crossing his arms in disappointment, and he's got his back to me, and now I'm not having fellowship with him, and, and, and now I'm sinning. I'm still sinning because, if anything, I even have more anxiety now. <sighs> oh, didn't work. I have to stop being anxious. I have to stop. Now stop it. Like right now, it doesn't make any sense, so just stop. It didn't work. I'm still anxious. So... I'm still sinning. Okay, okay, just just faith rest. Yeah, that's it. Faith rest. Okay. Nope, not working. Now what? Oh, maybe this. Just confess it. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. I will confess it. Lord, I have this anxiety, and it is sin, and it's wrong, and I'm so bad, and I still have it, and thank you that I can confess and admit my sin of anxiety. But I still have anxiety, so I confess this fresh anxiety that I just have now that I got before I started praying. Still anxious. Now what? Faith. I need faith. Yes, where is my faith? Just yield to him and walk by faith. Okay, I believe you, God, and I confess my sin, and I rest by faith, and I believe my anxiety is a sin, and I want to yield to you. Still anxious. Oh, man. I'm a loser. I can't get rid of the stress and the worry and the cares. I must be a second-class Christian. I should be beyond this by now. Others don't wrestle with this like I do. Why don't I get it? Now I'm worried about my spiritual growth chart. It's too much of a flat line on the y-axis. Why can't I perform like the others? Why can't I shake my worries and my fears? I'm sure that God loves me, but there is no way that he likes me. I mean, look at me. What a mess. Ugh! I'm so glad we could help you here today. Not only now do we feel anxious, but now we feel guilty about our anxiety. 
And so we spiral downward with some worry and then guilt and then worry and then some guilt and then some more worry and even more guilt. And it's a spiral. And so we resolve and resolve. I'm not going to worry. And I promptly begin to worry about not worrying. Fun. <laughs> this does not sound like joy. What is the problem here? You have gotten some bad information. Anxiety is not a sin. And secondly, in your solution, you're trying to be the remedy yourself. You know, you and your efforts and all these things we're going to try and do. And the cure is in you. We just got to get it right. Like a typical Bible commentary I, I read the other day that just said, we must put off anxiety, which is sin. We must do this. And it's sin? There's a double negative. The, the whole aspect, the whole sense of this is, Try harder, run faster, be better, get bigger. Fruitfulness is not in doing, but abiding. But abiding is not closed eyes and clenched fists trying to think right. It's silly, isn't it? You want to help someone who's struggling with anxiety, and you just make it way worse. Well, our passage today is a wonderful passage showing us the remedy to this running around in our minds. And the passage does not deny the existence of anxieties nor condemn them, but it tells us what to do with them. And it shows the way into something much, much better. So turn now to Philippians chapter 4. There was a, uh, we looked there, we remember we looked in chapter 4, 1 through 5 uh, last week, where we saw there was some tension in Philippi between several believers there. And Paul was seeking to encourage them in the Lord, knowing that that will lead into more unity. So, for example, in verse 1, he encouraged them to stand fast in the Lord. Stand firm in your union and fellowship with him. Verse 2, be of the same mind in the Lord. As they, both of those who were having a conflict were in, were in the same, they were in union with the Lord and had commonality there. In fact, verse 3, he was mentioning how they labored with me in the gospel, Paul said. So they had a common goal and a purpose and a drive. So as he's trying to stimulate this unity and their thinking, uh, in verses 4 through 7, he gives a series of five imperatives, uh, three of which we noted last week in our podcast. And the first two were both in verse 4, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice always and rejoice. Double for emphasis. But the reason was rejoice in the Lord. That's the trigger. In other words, you rejoice as you think about the Lord, thinking about his attributes and his majesty and all that he is. Or you rejoice because of the Lord, thinking about his words and his actions and his promise. And you rejoice as well in your union with the Lord and your position in him and that unity and harmony you have in Christ. So you can indeed rejoice all the time, celebrate God all the day, every day, revel in him as you can rejoice in light of who the Lord is and all that's true about him. So with that perspective, the third imperative was to let your gentleness be made known to all. And that was a good contrast to having disagreements or disputes. In fact, gentleness was a word that means not exerting your rights. This is my rights. And it's a, a, a spirit of yielding. And so there now was a motivating factor in having this gentleness, as he said, uh, let your gentleness be known unto all men, for the Lord is 
at hand. And it means he's near. It, it, it means he's always near in our circumstances. His presence and his wisdom are available personally and practically. He, he is, he's ahead of us and around us and in these things, and he's got this, and you can rejoice and, and, and have a yielding demeanor that follows from that. So this is our segue then to our passage for this week in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Allow me to read it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the emphasis actually is in the first words in the Greek, it, it's for nothing. It's a place of emphat- emphasis. For nothing. That's the position. It's like it's almost shouting, hey, for nothing, be anxious. <clears throat> now, what we really want this to mean is be less anxious. But that isn't what it says. It says for nothing, <laughs> as in zip, nada, not anything. And you just think, it should beg you to think, if you beg the question here, if it hasn't, to go, Really? As if, how, how can that be? Be anxious for nothing? I cannot reason this one out. I can't get my mind around that. You know, I mean, we can't even play golf without getting anxious. So now here's the imperative. Be anxious uh, for nothing. Be anxious. And so the word anxious is uh, the, the Greek word merinao, and it's the fourth imperative of the five we've mentioned here. And it is here in the scripture, it's not always a negative thing. That's the first thing we need to note. When this word is used, it's not always negatively. The same word is used in, that's in Philippians 4, 6 here for anxious, uh, is used in Philippians 2.20. When he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you who will care for your state. Timothy would come and care for the Philippians. And that's the same word. And here, it's okay. That's a good thing. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 33 through 34, it's used five times as it's referring to a married person who cares about the needs of their spouse, etc. That he may please his wife. Again, it's a good thing. Then as a verb, it's used in Luke 10, 41, where it was referring to the Martha and Mary story. And Jesus says to Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things. And there it's not a good thing. However, in verse 40, we see the real problem, the verse right before it, when we read that Martha was distracted with much serving. So there was a mental uh, emphasis or focus that was taking her away from where her mind could or should have been. And that's where she was worried and troubled. Now, the same word was a verb in those previous examples. It's also used as a noun in Scripture. For example, in the parable of the four soils, it's the cares of this world in Matthew 13, verse 22, that choke out the seed in the parable regarding the third soil. There, it's not a good thing. But in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Paul talks about what comes upon him daily, including his deep concern for all churches. A deep concern. Same word. There, it's perfectly okay. First Peter uses it, and Peter uses it in verse 7 of chapter 5, when he says, as we saw here a few weeks ago, cast your cares onto him, for he cares for you. Cast your cares, there's the word. And there's no condemnation there, that because you have the cares, it's an admonition of how to, what to do with them. So we see then, this word does not always a negative thing. Secondly, uh, the imperative does not necessitate that any failure to do so is sin. How about the double rejoice commands in verse 4? Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Have you ever heard anyone get after you when you're not rejoicing, saying anytime ever you're not rejoicing, you're sinning? 
How about the coming imperative in the next verse to make your request known to God? When I pray, that's good. I'm fulfilling that imperative. I'm praying and making requests known to God. But what about the 10 minutes before I started to pray? I was sinning then because I was not making my requests known. After all, we're told to pray without ceasing, aren't we, in 1 Thessalonians 5? 100% of the time, I need to be rejoicing and I need to be praying. Otherwise, I'm sinning. I don't, I don't, that doesn't, no, no, that doesn't seem right. Now, on the imperative, we see in verse 8, we are to think on things that are pure and lovely and of good report. So if we're never thinking, if we're ever not thinking about something of that nature, is it sin? Uh, were you thinking about how you don't really want to go to the dentist tomorrow and get that root canal? Sin. Were you thinking about the catchy secular love song that just was fun and had, you know, good sentiments that way? Sin. You see, if we stress it this way, what an invitation to having an over-analytical mental caravan of stress and doubt and worry. How about you have good cause to rejoice always, and you have no reason to be anxious about anything, as the idea here in this passage. Thirdly, anxiety is an emotion. Look up the Oxford Dictionary and emotion is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. The American Psychological Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension or worried thoughts and even physical changes, like increased blood pressure. So what's an emotion? Oxford Dictionary uh, tells us regarding emotion, it's a natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances, mood, or relationship with others. Uh, Merriam-Webster calls it a conscious mental reaction. So these are uh, emotions are, are physiological or biological reactions. They're part of our human design. God created us this way with emotion. So they have a God-given purpose. And emotions are these instinctive reactions, but they can also clearly stem from the flow of the mind and our thoughts. The mind conjures up a scenario and emotions then can flow from that. That's why what we set our mind on is so important. Like verse 8, two verses later, Paul's going to stress that. You see, fear sees a threat as that emotion, and anxiety then imagines one. The, the mind conjures up a scenario, and emotions can flow from that, and sometimes they can run wild and be, in, and, and be obsessive, and of course, then we're entering into sin. But emotions in and of themselves are not sin. They are fallible, though. They function within our fallen physical state, but emotions are intense, and they're like the spice of life and, and the things that we walk through and experience. There's fear, there's sadness, disgust, anger, joy, excitement, pleasure, surprise, shame, guilt, pity. What follows when the flesh and the sin nature dominates you and gets a hold of any of these emotions? Well, then sin will come out of that. But the anxiety then can run the show. And the guilt can dominate the heart. Your anger can erupt. The pity can run afoul. Fear can squeeze out all rational thought. And that's when you get into sinfulness. Emotions are to, uh, not to be in the driver's seat in our life, leading the way. They are most unreliable in that role. They fluctuate. They're unpredictable. They're very valid and a very good and healthy thing coming from God. But we aren't to allow them to drive the bus. So, can you have emotion and not have sin? Well, Jesus was angry when he was overturning the merchant's tables. 
but there was no sin. In fact, Ephesians 4.26 reminds us, be angry, emotion, and do not sin. Of course, anger then can become sinful. Oh, duh. But are faith and anger mutually exclusive? Can I have faith and still have anger? Well, yeah, both at the same time. Can you be jealous and it not be sin? Well, Exodus 20, verse 5, the Lord says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, referring to Israel and their idolatries. And a husband and wife are a spiritual union of two becoming one. They, are, they belong to each other. It's a rightful thing. And in that sense, jealousy, uh, to have a sense of jealousy in that context, is, that's not always sin. Although it can run rampant, it can go into a controlling mechanism and, be, uh, and become sinful. But they're not mutually exclusive. Even pleasure is an emotion. Is that a sin? Can you have pleasure without sin? Psalm 1611 says, At your right hand, Lord, are pleasures forevermore. You know, walking barefoot in the grass or receiving a good massage, listening to great music, a long, hot shower, kissing in the rain, watching children play. These are uh, making a snow angel. These are pleasures. They're not sin. But of course, you can have pleasure and it can be sinful. But the emotion itself is not sin. How about faith and worry? Are they mutually exclusive? Or could I have faith and still have concerns like the care of the churches? Or could I still have, be aware of certain uncertainties and an unsettling even though I'm having faith? You know, you're in bed at night and you hear a strange sound. You're talking with your spouse about a, a concern with your child's health. Or you're talking with your spouse about a concern with your child's behavior. Or thinking through your cash flow and you see a dilemma soon around the corner. I'm not sure how that'll get resolved. I've got an important test coming up and you're not sure if you've studied efficiently. And of course, it's unsettling. And maybe you make a blunder at work and the boss has scheduled a meeting with you tomorrow at noon. Maybe you're in a relationship and they want to get married, but you're not sure of that yet. So you have a lot of thinking processes and uncertainties. Maybe you have an ache or a pain in your body, a new one, and you don't know what it is. And if you have any kind of concern over those, or you think about those with any type of, uh, uh, of a, you know, like a, a worry even, look at all that sin. Yet in each scenario, you can go on and on and let the emotion overwhelm you and lead you into sin and lead your mind wildly out of control. But the initial thought process and emotion is not sin. It becomes so when we focus on the things that we value in this life, health, relationships, safety, family, finances, and in those things, forget God's role in each one of them and also generally in your life. And we can have what we may call a distraction as was the case with Martha. A misfocus, a forgetfulness, but it, with it comes an obsession, and that's where sin can enter in. So we stop and ask, is in these situations, all those scenarios above is, uh, that we mentioned, is God caught off guard in them? Is everything that he is and everything he says still the same, and are his many promises still in effect, and his word is still available? Or does God excuse himself in these situations saying, you know, like Prince and let's go crazy. In this life, you're on your own. Is that your God, really? So notice anxiety. We're going to have these questions and thoughts that's not a sin. It's an emotion. So we don't need to be feeling anxious about feeling anxious. Everybody has moments of anxiety. Anxiety is an emotional reaction to something. So don't guilt yourself for the negative feelings about a threat or an uncertainty. 
It's wasted time to try and coach yourself out of a negative response. Instead, it's far better to identify what is the object that I'm stressing over and then open your hand before the Lord with it and trust it to your Father. Remember his role and place in your life in it and allow your emotions to actually flag something that you might be valuing too much and let it lead you to a fresh or divine perspective. Knowing God is in no way threatened by what you feel threatened by in the moment. You see, the presence of anxiety, one person said, is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. To be under its control or to let your thoughts run crazy, that's optional. So let's get back to our passage in Philippians 4. He says, be anxious for nothing, but instead of being anxious, the main verb is let your requests be made known. This is the fifth imperative now, the fifth one. Um, let your request be made known. Compare this to verse 5, where he said, let your gentleness be made known to all men. There's a horizontal observation. But here, let your requests are to be made known to God, a vertical. Notice it does not say, let your anxieties or your cares be made known. It says, let your requests be made known. This implies that you've already mentally processed things a bit as far as things that you were concerned about. And now we're going to see four prepositional phrases attached to this main verb phrase in activity. And each one is giving us some important detail and making our request to know, uh, to know known to God about that. The first one is in everything. So which areas of life qualify? Well, this is a comprehensive uh, term, all areas of life. And this flows very well with the previous phrase, be anxious for nothing. And here it's, in everything, any area, all area, they all qualify. And then it's by prayer and supplication, the second preposition phrase, prepositional phrase. Uh, this explains the method that we use to make our requests known. How do we make them known? This is prayer, prayer and supplication. The word for prayer is a word that's spe specifically where you're addressed when you are addressing a deity, and it implies even devotion and praises. So prayer and praises and supplications, this term is referring to specific requests, personal needs. So now with this prayer and kind of praise and devotion language and supplications, very specific requests, you, in any and everything, you come before the Lord with thanksgiving. Now this explains your state of mind as you approach God. This is an expression of gratitude, and it's an expression, which means it's there, it's, it's requiring then an inward reality. I mean, uh, there has to actually be gratitude, and then the expression of that is with thanksgiving. So the gratitude is coming perhaps from the earlier admonition to rejoice and to rejoice always. Or maybe the gratitude is just the fact that you have this incredible invitation to come before the Lord in his holy place in a meaningful and personal way. The fourth preposition is to God, the direction of your prayer and supplication. Vertical, to God, communication. And isn't it great? No intermediary that gets in the way. You have a direct line. So we see what it is we can do and what we are to do. We're to approach the Lord with praise and specific requests about anything and with gratitude. We get to verse 7 and now the result of such action. And then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God. Think of that. This is in the genitive case in the original meaning. This is the peace belonging to God. He's the source of it. This is, already Supernatural. This is above and beyond us. It's way beyond our pay grade. And we will, we will have a, an absence of troubled or anxious thoughts is the idea. The peace of God is not anxious. God doesn't have those thoughts. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, verse 33, on the last night they were together, he said, These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. 
In the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In me, you will have peace. It's related to Jesus Christ. And the peace of God also is described here as surpassing all understanding. This means that it surpasses in quality or nature. It's better than. And why? Because it's supernatural. This is of God. This peace is by God, and it's totally God. It's not human at all. So what is it better than? It's better than all our human comprehension, intellect, or plans. The New American Standard describes it as it surpasses all comprehension. The Holman Bible surpasses every thought. The New Living Translation exceed anything we can understand. Man, this strikes at the heart of control because we want control. We want to manage things and move our chess pieces and try to manipulate things and feel like we have got can manage this in some way. You know, have you ever felt like that? You know, like you're doing this and it doesn't seem to be going well. It's like, well, the problem with this is God doesn't do what I tell him to do. <laughs> can you imagine this, though, this piece? It's having super knowledge above and beyond. This, this is a surpassing super knowledge of having all the rationale, all your ducks in a row, nice plans. This, this piece of God is better than all that. It's from God. It's otherworldly. Are you ready to trade in for that? Man, think about it. I don't even understand my anxieties anyway. Anxieties are often, when we let them start running amok, they're often irrational and illogical. I need something that's beyond all understanding. So here we have the supernatural anxiety, uh, anxiety-free peace that will now guard your hearts and minds. And this is a future tense promise. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. A future tense, which means it's a promise, it's after the condition is met, and the verb means to provide security or to protect. So what needs to be guarded and protected? The real you, the inside, the intellect, the emotion, the volition, our soul. This is protection for the all of you from anxiety run amok, running out of control. This is guarding the door. This prevents anxiety like that from entering and dominating. And a final phrase in our passage today, capping off the passage, is this will all occur in Christ Jesus. Another reference to our identity and union with him and position in him. It is in union with Christ that the peace of God will guard your hearts. The positional union and the practical resting in and enjoyment of this union, sometimes we call communion. So we know we have positional union, but when we're having communion and a practical enjoyment of that, the peace of God enters in. It invades. To paraphrase maybe this passage, we could say, instead of worrying about anything, in everything, pray. Let your praises and petitions shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your requests. God's supernatural peace will come and settle your inner being and protect your peace of mind in Christ Jesus. What a promise. Now, we have to think, when was the last time you prayed with specific requests stemming from your anxieties to God? Maybe it's been really recent. That's awesome. But maybe it's been a while for you. Maybe you're not sure about this. You're a little tentative. I'm not sure. I'm only here. We typically hesitate based on our human reasoning of some form, and it's often attached to some struggles or failures or periods of unfaithfulness in our life where we know we haven't done this or we've been wayward or distractions of mind, whatever. But then if that's the case, what we're really saying is my coming to God with confidence is based on my performance 
And that, friends, is graceless. There's no grace there. We do not approach God based on our performance. We come based on Christ's performance and God's promise and our relationship with him. Consider him. Hear him. We can reach out to him. And it's only you and him when we, by faith, come and cast our, or, uh, um, um, bring our requests made known to him. We don't do it for others. We, we don't do it for our image. We don't do it for, so we can get fixed. We don't do it so we can be better for other people, fit in, you know, in some way. We don't do it to meet someone's expectations of us or including your own expectations. Do this because he is. Because he's there. Because he loves. Because you are his. Because with him is where you belong in a state of peace. You reach out for him because he's drawing you in. And you can be glad in him, even rejoicing. Man, if I only knew this was all I had to do, maybe, you're thinking. And notice, this is not reason winning the day. A step-by-step mechanical process. We're going to sit you down. We're going to explain three reasons why your anxiety is dumb. Have faith and yield to him. Walk in dependence and abide. So get over it and step out. And it's like a switch we're supposed to turn on and turn it off or turn it on. You know, we turn it off and it's done. But sometimes when people, we hear those things, we, we get home and we wonder, what does that even mean? But anxiety isn't really rational, is it? Is it always rational when you flip out over something? Is it logical to be gripped with worries that you will die homeless, penniless, friendless, and soon? But the peace of God, the God of peace, the peace that is sourced in God, that peace will invade you. The peace based on God's ridiculous, unconditional, abounding love toward you that never stops. This peace is the remedy. And it's not rational. It surpasses everything rational or human. My fears are beyond understanding. My anxieties are beyond my understanding. I need something that is beyond me, that is beyond my understanding. Anxiety is usually out of our control, way out of our control, and not understood. We need a supernatural intervention. And here it is, totally available, always, and in everything. And it's unexplainable. It surpasses our understanding. And it is no process of a mechanical checklist for control freaks. It's no relational, unexplainable uh, item. It, it, it is rather relational and unexplainable because it's supernatural. And it is the work of your God. So we are not praying that our circumstances would change and God will fix the horizontal and make us even understand it better so we can tell others about how we can like write a prescription out and here's what you do and what you say. Uh, the, the expectation we have is not that God takes out the pressures that are creating our problems. The expectation is not the, that he fixes it all on a horizontal level. Instead, the expectation, the answer is the peace of God. His supernatural invasion, settling our out-of-control minds that are racing everywhere, and the answer is his peace moving in, settling in, and soothing our worried souls with divine perspective of him and who he is. The answer is peace, and then that peace will be guarding and protecting us from further wild speculations. He's the source. He's the answer. He is greater than the source of all your problems. And his peace is better than anything, and you don't manufacture it. He just gives it to you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. 
Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So go. And you go because you know who he is, and you're invited there anytime. Imagine a snot-nosed kid clutching a broken toy and tears in his face, bursting into a corporate conference room crying, Dad! And then announcing the tragedy of the broken toy before Dad and six or seven other corporate elites discussing urgent and important matters. Yeah, that's you and God. He is Abba, and he welcomes you and he'll hug you there. Imagine that, the king, the creator, full of majesty and glory and holiness and power. He will stoop to earnestly listen to you, and that's why you go. Because he is, and he will give you perspective, and he will give you his peace. And the God of peace will invade your heart and mind with his out-of-this-world peace. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this marvelous promise, and we even pray for all those who've listened. We pray we we didn't cover it today, but we know we the first understanding is we must have eternal life and be saved first and have a relationship with you for all this to be true. And that's so simple, faith alone and what you have done for us. You've demonstrated your love for us at the Calvary where Jesus died for our sins and he paid for them in full and he's risen and is alive and is offering life. And I pray for all that are listening that they may have received this life freely by faith in Christ alone and know for sure they have eternal life. Father, we thank you for those believers that listened and just pray that uh, we may not stress over being stressed, but instead desire you, even run to you, thank you and pray to you with all our requests and thank you for our supernatural peace that you gave us when we do this. We can have this day by day because we are in you forever. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening again. And I just also a quick reminder, if you're interested in some questions that are for small group discussions, um, just email us at coolhandgrace at gmail.com. And that's all for today. Until next time, please remember that where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.